All right, uh, if you were here for our Planting Roots remix we just did, uh, Planting Roots is Element Needs a Permanent Home. Our lease ends at the end of next year. And we bought that field out there, and so we're building ourselves. A, we, we looked for five, six years for a place to move, and it's impossible to find a place that has the right amount of parking, uh, that doesn't want non-competing retail, because believe it or not, a church isn't, well, it's not supposed to be retail. Uh, they, or, or they just didn't want a church there whatsoever. So we ended up buying the property out there, uh, building ourselves a permanent home. And we did a thing two years ago called Planting Roots, and we all came together and decided what we, would, what we all could give towards doing that. So we did a remix the last five weeks, and at the end of the remix, uh, we had 11 new families commit to it. Uh, 12 families make second commitments, and after everybody putting in whether you wanted to revise your commitment up or down, uh, everything came out uh, with an additional $40,000 that people have committed to Planting Roots. So you guys committed $1.14 million, so way to go. You, it, yeah, yeah. Welcome to yourself because it's your permanent home. So yeah, it's not about me; it's about you guys. Uh, so if you are uh, newer to Element, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. They're also in a lot of the seats that are right in front of you. Take one home. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Uh, on all the communion tables throughout the room, there are these sermon notes. And on these sermon notes, you'll get some uh, things that go a little bit deeper and some questions that go a little bit deeper. You can ask your friends or your family or things like that to kind of go deeper into the message. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. Uh, click on Live and then Events in YouVersion. You will get the sermon notes, the questions, the verses, and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me? Reading of God's Word. It says Mark chapter 8, verse 25, and it says, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who begin to see things the way that you do, that our sight would be more clear than it normally is, and that we would trust you for the truth that you have provided. Amen. Have a seat. So we are starting a brand new series today, so if you are new or newer to Element, it's a great week to start. Uh, we're calling it What in the World? Uh, I know some of you guys like shorter series, so you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like, we're going to do the first half of the book of Acts, and it's going to take us almost a whole year to do it. So we're going to do shorter series right now. Uh, I like them. I get to talk about things that kind of percolate in the back of my head in a different way. But even when we do shorter series, it's still kind of expository because we go through verses of Scripture. So we're calling this What in the World? Because when I go through some stuff in my own personal quiet time where I read the Bible, I still have some questions that I come across. I read something. I'm like, why in the world is that there? Like when Jesus says, hate your father and mother. You're like, What? Or when the Apostle Paul says, don't touch a woman, and you're a dude, and you're thinking, that's why I married one, so I could touch him. And you're like, what? What's going on? These are the questions. You look in the scriptures, and you say, you know, why would Jesus say that or do that, or, or why is that there, or why did it happen? This is we're calling part one of what in the world is going to take us all the way into Christmas, and we're actually going to do a part two. And the part two are the questions that you guys get to ask. So if you have any questions about the Bible, not like, why is the sky blue? But you have, like, Bible questions. There's three-by-five cards and all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, write your questions on those. If you have a smartphone, on the back of your sermon notes right here, there's a little QR code. You can scan that with your phone. It'll take you to a little web page, and you can type in your question right there. And next summer, we'll come back and answer some of your questions. Sound like fun? That means, see, that's my bait-and-switch. Get you to come all the way back through next summer. So you Kind of works like that. Now, today we're going to talk about healing, Jesus, spit, and mud, all the things you're so excited about. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. 
There's a story in Mark 8, 22 to 26, where Jesus goes to heal someone and it takes him two tries. Nowhere in the scripture does it take Jesus twice. And I kind of wondered about this for a while. And if I wondered about it, if you've read it, you know, you might have wondered about it too. Someone from first service said, yeah, I always wondered about that. So we're going to talk about that, what the application is for us. So we're going to read it and then we'll kind of walk through it. Mark 8, starting in verse 22, says, And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, there's there's some things in here that are kind of unique. One, it's found only in the Gospel of Mark. It's the only time Jesus heals somebody in stages like this. And third, it's the only time Jesus actually spit directly on somebody. In Mark 7, 31 to 37, Jesus heals a man that is deaf and he has a speech impediment. So Jesus sticks his fingers in the guy's ears and then licks his own fingers and sticks them in the guy's mouth. And you're like, gross, you know, but whatever. Even though it's Jesus, it was still kind of gnarly, right? Uh, John chapter 9, Jesus has a man, he's born blind. Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud with his spit and rubs it in the guy's eyes. Again, you know, gross, right? Even though Jesus fit, you can still say it. It's, it's good. And, and he heals the guy. But this text actually says Jesus literally spit on the guy. And again, it's like, wow. You know, and so, you know, you ever wonder, what in the world is going on with that? I mean, just me? No, okay. All right. There's something going on here, and, and it's deeper than you can see just on the surface. In the end, it gets to ultimately who is in control, how God calls us to live, the things that we're to call and see clearly. Uh, there's, this is a two-stage miracle. Uh, the first stage, the guy can see, but his vision is blurry. People look like trees. And this lets you know that he wasn't born blind because he knew what trees look like. And the second stage is where Jesus touches him, and then he can see clearly. And if you read Bible commentators, the only thing that they agree on is this is a weird story. That's the only thing they all agree on. Now, if you've been around Element any length of time, you know that we believe that Jesus did everything he did for a reason and a purpose. This isn't some random, I'll go spit on that guy. He's not like a junior high boy trying to gleek on all of his friends. There's a purpose behind the two stages that that happens here. But the text only tells you the story. It doesn't tell you why why he's doing this and the deeper meaning of it. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about. It brings us back to the question of kind of what in the world's going on here. And I'm going to warn you a little bit. Today's going to be a little bit like school. I'm not trying to bore you, but what I want to do is help you when you come across things you might not understand in the scriptures to ask certain questions, to walk through, and maybe begin to answer some of those questions for yourself through some of the questions that we ask, okay? So the first one is this. Why did he heal the man in stages? When you come to this question, the best thing I think to do is you remove what you know isn't true. Pull out the things that you know no, aren't true. So you might answer it more in the negative. So, first thing you know is that you didn't take Jesus twice because Jesus lacked any type of power. Jesus could have healed the man all at once if he wanted to. Secondly, it was not because that the man's blindness was a hard case that it took Jesus twice. There are other places in the Bible where Jesus gives somebody eyes who is probably born without eyes. And not that I have ever healed anybody, but I think that if I had to scale it, making eyes is harder. 
Maybe you know different. I don't know. And thirdly, it's not because Jesus tried and failed the first time. It's not because the second time is the charms. And and even though this doesn't give you the answer, it kind of puts you in a better perspective to find the correct and the right answers. So where do you go from here? Well, the answer to that is if the text doesn't precisely tell you, look at the context that comes around it. Here's a novel idea. Read the Bible. See what it actually says. If the text itself isn't clear or something doesn't make sense, read what's around it to find out what it means in context. So the second thing is, what do we learn from the immediate context that's here? Context means a lot, not just in biblical terms, but in our lives. Context is the words and the phrases and the paragraphs around something you're looking at. It's the wider framework of the situation that surrounds a story. Maybe you have a coworker and they're always irritable. You're like, what's something wrong with that guy? If you took a step back and maybe looked at their entire life and things that are going on, you might have a different perspective on why they're always irritable. Like if you played Dungeons and Dragons, somebody might say something like, stop adopting every goblin we meet. Or, I light the torch and yes, I didn't explode. If you're any, in any other context, it'd be weird. Well, it's even weird with you guys too, but you know, it's the wider context makes sense. If you see two guys you know, beating the snot out of each other, you may want to call the police. But if you back away and you see they're in an octagon with a bunch of cheering fans, well, then it's okay. It all depends on the wider context. Like, here's a picture. These are some broken bricks. Okay? Broken bricks. What do you do with broken bricks? Throw them away. Right? Here's now, here we get a bigger context. Here's another picture. So what these broken bricks do is this is Japan, and in Japan they have apparently these monster crows. And what they do, this is how you put out your garbage. You put garbage out with a net on top and a bunch of bricks around it, and that's what you want to use. You don't want to use good bricks for it. You want to use broken bricks. And so they put them around it to hold it down so the garbage guys actually get the garbage and not the crows. It only makes sense in the wider context. So the wider context of what's going on in Mark 8, go back to Mark chapter 7. Starts with the Pharisees, and they're talking about what defiles people and traditions and cleaning hands. Mark 7, 2, and 3 says, They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. And I know you're thinking, well, my mom always told me to do that, wash my hands before I eat. This is more traditions of the prayers that I say and how you wash your hands and did you wash your hands right in the right way and say the right things. And so what Jesus does is he goes on to describe what actually defiles a person. And then as soon as he does this, he will heal a Gentile's daughter, someone who they all thought was defiled and beneath them. Then he goes and he heals a man who is deaf and mute so he can speak and hear again. Once again, they would have thought he was defiled, did something in his life to make this happen. So Jesus heals them. Then Jesus goes and he feeds 4,000 people, who a lot of the Jews would have thought they were defiled because they weren't smart enough to bring food when they went to see Jesus in the first place. Then immediately after Jesus does all of these miracles, the Pharisees demand signs from him to test him and say, are you really the Messiah? And you're like, what in the world? Didn't he just do all these miracles? What is wrong with you people? And after the Pharisees argue with him, in Mark 8, 11, and 12, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples, and he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, leaven, it's this yeast that's useful for making bread. It makes it kind of raise up so you can make bread quickly. But he's pointing to the false teachings of the Pharisees about things being defiled. Now, the disciples, they're not the quickest people in the world, and they think he's talking about literal bread because Jesus just fed 4,000 people. So they start this whole conversation about how they're hungry, and they don't have any bread. It's really kind of funny. 
I know you don't get it, but it really is kind of funny. In Mark 8, 17 and 18, Jesus then rebukes his disciples and he says this, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he pulls all of chapter 7 and 8 together with this, How can you be so blind? After being with me for so long, don't you understand anything I've been saying or doing? And the answer is obviously no, Like, like, just like us. Like if you're a parent and you have a child, you probably felt that way about your kids. Don't you ever listen to anything I say? And the answer is no, <laughs> they don't. If you own a business and you hire a high school or a college kid, you're like, didn't you ever learn anything? And the answer is no, that's why you pay them minimum wage, because they don't know anything. And, it, you know, so sometimes I have kids come to my house to help me work on projects at my house, and sometimes they don't even know, like, what end of a shovel goes into the ground. It's like, if you're a dad, work with your kids for me, okay? So when I get them, I don't have to freak out, right? But it's just like Jesus in here, and it's just like us, and sometimes we say, didn't you hear what I said? Have you forgotten everything I told you? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, they heard it, and no, they didn't remember it. So this is just like the disciples. So then it moves to the next thing in here, where you go from, you know what it's not, you know looking at the context of what we're moving towards. So number three is, what is Jesus teaching us by his actions in the story? What is he trying to do? Because in terms of context and bringing this together, the parable, or the, the miracle is going to be a parable of the disciples' condition. That it is possible to have eyes and yet not see very clearly that Jesus is showing them what their lives are actually like. Now, I think I can relate this a bit if we talk a little bit about glasses. I never had to wear glasses until I was 20 years old. My brother had them since the time he was a little kid. My brother goes to the optometrist. They look at his eyes. They tell him he is severely nearsighted. And so my brother, all growing up, wore glasses. Here's a picture of my brother. He goes, my brother goes, I knew you were going to show that one. It's awesome. Now, he, these glasses, we call these Coke bottle glasses because they're, they're very thick. By the time he woke up, the time he went to bed, my brother wore glasses. They're part of his life, like putting on underwear. You should all wear underwear, by the way, in case you don't know that. He becomes a teenager. He gets contacts because we all think we look better without glasses. I think my wife looks sexy with them. You know, so, and, and, but I always thought I was better than my brother because I didn't have to wear glasses. I'm kind of like the disciples. I thought I was better because I wasn't in the same state as my brother. But then, 20 rolls around, and all of a sudden, I need to start wearing glasses because the world stopped having edges. Okay? Everything was like, like, it's supposed to be a box, and it's just fuzzy. You, you know, like if you need glasses and you're not wearing them, and you're driving down the street looking for the road you're supposed to turn on, you're like an old lady, you're like, that's me at 20. Not pretty, not pretty. So I ended up getting some glasses, and, and in the end, I, you know, I hated those glasses because I, I think I look better without glasses, although I, I don't really know. So I tried wearing contact lenses, and I can't even stick my own finger in my eyeball. I'm like, I tried, like, two or three times. I finally got them in. They didn't last. I'm like, why would anybody do this to themselves? And so my brother and I are, in, are like the man in the story in the first part of the healing. Like, we, we, ha- we see people more as blurry images with not a whole lot of details. Now, eight years ago, I had laser surgery. My brother had laser surgery, too. I didn't mind in Mexico because I'm cheap and brave. (laughs) But then, even though that happens, and you can see clearly as you start to get older, your eyes go bad the other way, and you've got to wear magnifying glasses on your eyes to be able to read words in front of you. It is all part of the fall. It's all sin. We blame Adam and Eve. 
just a long meandering way to, to tell you that it, perfect vision is very hard to come by in the world, and it is possible to have eyes and never be able to see clearly. And that is the point that Jesus is trying to make to his disciples in healing this guy. They grew up in a tradition that said, we have the truth, we know the truth, we get to see everything clearly. And because of that, they started to see everybody else who didn't know that truth to be less of a human being. The Jews were chosen by God, and you weren't, so you're less than us. And they forgot that they were chosen by God to be a blessing to the entire earth. We, if you believe in Jesus, you are called to be a blessing to the entire earth. That's why God blesses you. Now, in America, we've grown up with the mentality that says, we have and we know the truth and we're better than everybody else. And don't get me wrong, because I love America. Okay? I drive a Chevy. I like apple pie. I think football is when you throw a ball through the air and big burly men try and kill each other. That's football. Not when you kick a little ball on the ground trying to run away from everybody else. It's Football, right? Okay. But you got to also understand that any and every blessing that we have is to bless others. We must see people like God sees them, lost and broken, needing his hope and redemption, not as nameless, faceless trees. And yet that's how we tend to see people who aren't like us. We don't see the God's image in them. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Do you have eyes and yet not see what I've been saying? Even more importantly, do you have eyes and not see clearly who I am? Cloudy spiritual vision, it affects every single person to some degree. Yes, even Christians. And I think nothing illustrates this more than our current political climate. We are so divided. We are so divided. And it doesn't matter what side you're for or how many of them you're against. You know, it's, we, we look over and we just say, oh, those people are horrible, and we just want to make fun of them and say how horrible, and not realizing that we have the propensity to be the exact same people as they are. We stand back in a place of arrogance and we say, oh, how dare they? Not realizing that that position of arrogance makes us like the Pharisees and makes us like the disciples and makes us look at them like they are not actually people. As much as they themselves act like sometimes they're not really people, we are called by God to see them as God created them to be. We need to begin praying for them and loving on them as God calls us to. None of us sees as clearly as we'd like to think that we do. Eugene Peterson paraphrases 1 Corinthians 13, 12 by saying this, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. That's us. And it's exactly why Jesus heals this guy here and why it's in the place in Mark where it is. The blind man, he experiences this two-stage healing. When he's partially healed, he saw men walking as trees. And it shows that all of us, including Jesus' disciples, have spiritual nearsightedness to one degree or another. Which leads us to the last question when we look at a passage is, what do we need to learn from this? And I'll give you four things I think we learned from what's going on here. Number one is that God doesn't treat us all the same way. I'm not talking about in terms of love and grace and hope. Okay, What I'm talking about is God deals with us all differently because we're all a little bit different. Some more different than others, but you know we're all just a little bit different. Like some people Jesus heals with the touch, some with the word, some with the look, others at great distances, some he sees, some he doesn't even see at all. We must be a people who come to a place and say, Jesus, you don't have to treat me the same way that you treat my neighbor. Again, not in the terms of, of love and grace and things like that, but what life circumstance is in your life. Like, maybe you and your neighbor are both blind and God decides to heal your neighbor and not you. Or no one knows why two people get cancer and maybe one gets healed and the other one doesn't. Or why some couples can just 
pump out kids like crazy, and other, and other couples are praying, God, please just let us have one child. Many people struggle with this concept because we think if God did something for somebody else, well, then he has to do it for me. Like Peter got to walk on water. How come I don't get to walk on water? I've tried lots of times. Like, boom, I just go down. Why don't I get to do it? See, because it doesn't work that way. God can deliver your neighbor from cancer, and you may die, or vice versa. Envying your neighbor because they have something you don't is a waste of time. Because God treats us as individuals, and God is good. And when you envy your neighbor, you stop seeing them as God made them, and you start seeing them more like nameless, faceless trees. And I'm not saying that God won't do for you exactly what he's done for somebody else. God might do more, but he also might do less. God gets to deal with us the way that he wants because he knows how to grow us. You look what happens in the scriptures. One night, uh, they can't catch any fish. The next day, they have so many fish, their boats are overflowing. You have a bunch of people get arrested throughout the book of Acts. Some get released by angels. Some get released by earthquakes. Some don't get released at all, and they get killed. Maybe one day in your life, you sense God working and moving, and it's amazing. And the next day, you feel like every step with Jesus is the hardest step you've ever taken. Ray Pritchard writes this. He says, our God is infinitely creative in the way he deals with us as he brings us to spiritual maturity. There are bright days and dark nights, and both are from the Lord. One day you may say trees, and the next may be all clear. The second thing is Jesus deals with us according to our need, not according to our wants. According to our needs. Jesus in Mark 8 deals with this blind man by taking him outside the village. All these people brought the guy to Jesus. Hey, do a miracle. Let us all see it. And Jesus takes this man and his disciples and goes outside the city to heal him in a particular way. To teach his disciples something as it teaches us something even to this day. And, I, and you hear these stories where people lose one of their senses, the other ones become more heightened. Jesus touches this guy twice. This means this guy felt Jesus touch intimately twice. I think the third thing is we don't all get better at the same rate or in the same way. Now, his friends bring this guy to Jesus, say, please heal him. I think it's important for us to do that, for other people. We ask God, open their eyes, draw them to you. And it's good for us to do that because it keeps us humble. It has us remember that unless Jesus helps them, there will be no help. Unless Jesus works in them, there will be no work. But sometimes, most times, in fact, the change we want to see, it comes very, very slowly. We start to be like, God, you need to work quicker. I can't believe how slow you're working. And sometimes you do hear stories about people being changed immediately. I know some people who God rescued them from their drug addiction and they never struggled again and never felt drawn to it again at all. And I know other people, most people, that daily it's a struggle. And daily they have to trust Jesus in the midst of that struggle. And I think in the end that becomes more advantageous because those people can help others much more in the midst of struggle. And we must understand that God does his things in his own way. Some people come and they follow Jesus, and, and that spiritual growth is very slow. And your spiritual vision starts off cloudy and only slowly gets better, but it is Jesus who does the calling and the healing in his time. And this isn't pessimism or fatalism where you just want to give, give up. It is trusting Jesus to work at his pace and his timing and his way. Spectacular healings make us go, ooh, ah, oh, that's amazing. But most often, God heals by what we call ordinary means. Many times, if God grants healing, it's through the means of a doctor. That doesn't mean God isn't healing. It means that God is doing what he has said throughout the scriptures. He is using people to be his hands and feet to the world. He's using somebody to heal somebody else. 
And we are not God, and we don't get to boss them around. The point is that if someone has cancer and God heals them, great, we worship Jesus. And if someone has cancer and God uses doctors to heal them, great, we worship Jesus. And and someone has cancer and God doesn't heal them and they die and they go to be with him, we still worship Jesus because there's nothing else we can say. And that principle holds clear all throughout our lives. I mean, some people, they'll come to Jesus and they will just grow so fast and grow so deep so quick. But most others take years to learn a lot of even the simplest things. But the truth is that both of them still love Jesus. And a lot of us throughout our lives are going to struggle with this blurry vision for a long time. And it's okay because our salvation rests in God's hands. The fourth thing is our own spiritual perception is often clouded and imperfect. And that's very important to remember especially when you look around and you start judging other people. Our vision is imperfect. I mean, you've got this guy, he's partially healed, but now, like the first half of the miracle, he probably needs glasses of some sort. It's probably got like 2,500 vision, you know, what you call like legally blind, but not completely blind. Like you don't want him driving a car, obviously, because you're running right over or something like that. He'd been healed, but his healing's not complete until the second part of the healing. He wasn't finished yet. That is a picture of all of us and our lives in a walk with Jesus. Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In God's sight, by trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we before God are made perfect. But day by day by day. He is making us more and more holy. And that means we have blind spots of weaknesses and areas of life where we do not see clearly. I mean, I don't think that there is anybody here who would say, oh yeah, I'm like Jesus in every part of my life. If you raise your hand, I would say, that's exactly how you're not like Jesus in every part of your life. See, spiritual growth is meant to be that. It's growth. It is not instant development. I mean, it's hard for us as Americans to kind of go along with this because we love instant gratification. We love microwave faith. We're like, Jesus, give me patience and give it to me now. That's how we want to pray. We want all the answers. Give me the five steps or the six keys or the seven promises or the eight principles that will lead me to the victorious life. Give me those. But God rarely works like that. When you become born again, you're born as a baby. And you grow up through stages, and that's just how it works. God grows us through stages in life. And I would say to you, don't give up when you think you're not transformed quick enough. Don't give up. Don't despair about your lack of spiritual progress or your, or your blurry eyesight at times. You take that to God always in complete honesty because that's how you're going to grow. When you, say that, when you recognize it in your own life and you say, God, I am blind. Help me to see clearly here. Because God will bring something beautiful out of that because we realize it is him who is the one who is growing us. I think Jesus partially heals the man and says, do you see anything? I mean, I think Jesus knew what the man saw, but I think he asked that because he wants the disciples to see in context of the passage exactly who they are and what they're doing. Then he heals him completely so they would understand it's Jesus who rescues and Jesus who saves. The truth is for us that we are all blind in some sense because of the sin in our lives. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died and rose in our place to bring us back to God so we would understand who he is and be the people that God truly made us to be again. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says that we see dimly, that we know in part, but promises the day that we will no longer see dimly and we will be fully known. That we'll be like Mark 8.25 says, that he saw everything clearly. 
I think for us, looking at this, one of the most important things to ask ourselves is where do we not see clearly? Where in your life are the things that you are not seeing clearly right now? Where do you have to allow God to begin to change some of the things in your life so you see how he wants you to see? And sometimes that's kind of scary because we usually have things in our lives where we don't want to see clearly, where we want to keep our cloudy vision so we don't have to own up to something that's going on in our lives somewhere. Because God calls us to be a people who always go back to him, who talk about our own blindness and see the blurry vision that we have and see the grace and the hope of the truth that he calls us into, to live clear lives focused upon him. This is why we come to communion every week. It's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me as a people. Why? Because we are people who were lost and broken. And our God came and died to take away what separated us from him and us from each other. All the things that we could never see clearly, God came and did for us, reached out and saved us. And this is what we remember in communion, that God is the one who sees and knows everything clearly. So we submit all of ourselves to him. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some uh, deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, maybe you're in a spot today where you feel like you're not seen clearly, or you don't want to own up to maybe some of the things in your own life, where it's like, I really don't want to see that clearly, God, because if I did, then I've got to change, and I don't really want to change. You know, but you kind of walk through those things, where you, where you start to say, I'm going to own up to whatever you put before me. Whatever you want me to see, that's what I'm going to see, and I'm going to live the way you call me to live. Guys, our God is good. Our God is good. It's one of the reasons the scriptures tell you that, that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means that we can honestly face up to all the places that we don't see clearly and to trust him in our lives for everything else. There's offering boxes inside and on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. You have the opportunity every week. Uh, and there's some food in the back, I think. Some, I'm supposed to tell you that we need more people to help keep doing snacks. I think I'm supposed to say that, and I keep forgetting, but there you go. So there's never a snack back there. It's your fault. <laughs> I see clearly you did not bring enough cookies. Right. <laughs> I think there's a food. Grab something to eat, meet some other people, and start to maybe ask, go through some of those questions in there. I mean, ask, if you have friends that you trust enough, ask them, where do you think I'm not seeing clearly? Ask them that hard question and then trust them for the answer because if they really are your friends, they'll be honest enough to tell you and love you enough sometimes to wound you and then walk with them in the grace of Jesus to walk in the clear vision that he calls us to live in. Because I think, we, again, we will only be the people God calls us to be by walking in clear vision focused upon him and not upon ourselves because it is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who see more and more clearly day by day by day. That we would understand, first and foremost, who you are. That our focus wouldn't be on our dim vision or the way that we have messed things up, but our focus would first be upon who you are. Because by first understanding you and your call on our lives and the greatness of who you are, that is when our lives begin to change. Have us be a people who surrender all that we are to all that you are that you would come in and you would raise us up again, that you would do a miracle in our lives where we would see and know the goodness of you and the grace that you call us into. We ask that you would teach us how to be your witnesses in this world. 
honestly looking at our own lives and the lives around us, lifting you up in all things so you get great glory and your people begin to live in great joy because we are focused on you. Teach us to honor you in all things, above ourselves, above everything in our lives, and to begin to walk in the great hope that you have laid before us. We ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.